Oh hey, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Cocked Die podcast. Today I'm speaking to Amy Lynn DeZura. She's an organizer, a gamer, and a community manager for the Dungeons & Dragons Adventures League. But first, the news. The digital edition of Cyberpunk Red is being released in just four days. Four days. This latest edition, developed in association with Cyberpunk 2077, the video game by CD Projekt Red, makers of The Witcher games, take players into the time of the Red. Following worldwide conflict, the Earth has gone to hell. Maybe even worse than before. Atmospheric particles from a nuclear explosion, weapon debris, uncontrolled fires, and other horrors which humans have inflicted on one another have cast the skies in a bloody tinge of red. They were stained for almost two years. Over time, the red sky faded, recollected only by bright red sunrises and sunsets. But the people never forgot the time of the red. This is the backdrop of Cyberpunk Red, and I cannot wait to explore this book further. It releases in digital on November 14th and is in all fine bookstores on November 19th. In other exciting news, we're just one week away from the release of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. This is the largest 5th Edition rules update since Xanathar's Book of Everything in 2017. Next week will include a bonus and in-depth look at the book, but here's what we know so far, which I've collected through various social media interviews and posts. There are 30 subclasses which are included in Tasha's, and 22 of these are coming from Unearthed Arcana, which will be new to the book. Of the eight which aren't from playtest material, like the rumored inclusion of Bladesinger, reprint material from other books, but make it less race-restrictive. For example, the rumor is that Bladesinger will no longer require you to be an elf. It follows the theme of Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons being less restricted on race options and being less race determinative on play options overall. Here's what we know so far. A sorcerer subclass will be included, called the Clockwork Soul, which harnesses the power of order. I think this class will be related to the plane of Mechanus and the Modrons contained therein who believe in the clockwork order of things, but I can't say for sure. Additionally, we'll see the Aberrant Mind, which looks like it's leaning toward an Illithid-themed class related to psionics of some kind. Some of what I've seen so far related to fighters says that Pugilist is coming, which focuses more on fisticuffs and unarmed fighting. Fighters overall will include new maneuvers for Battlemaster, fighting styles, and feats. I read that there's 12 new Battlemaster builds in the book. Now, I don't know what that means, but I gotta be honest, as someone who loves the fighter class in 5th edition, I'm quite excited to find out. Also included in the book are fighter subclasses the Psy Warrior and the Rune Knight. Obviously, the Psy Warrior is related to the Psionics, which are included in Tasha's, introduced for the first time in 5th edition in the book. Druids will get the Circle of Stars and the Circle of Wildfire. Wildfire druids appeared in Unearthed Arcana, and they summon a fire spirit to help them on their adventures. I expect Tasha's class will be very similar. This is a class I have taken a look at a little bit, as one of my players in an upcoming stream is playing a Circle of Wildfire Druid, so I'm excited to see what this class holds in store. Bards get a new college, which is the College of Creation. I don't know exactly what that means, but I think it will definitely lean heavily into conjuration magic of some kind. 
The path of the beast for barbarians seems like it's going to be related to transformation, similar to how shifters in 3rd edition Eberron could shift and gain more animal traits. It will be very much lycanthropy-esque, I think, as we've seen it implemented in 5th edition. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out in the game. That's all I've seen so far collected from other sources, but I'm very much looking forward to diving into the book next week once I get my hands on it and giving you a full in-depth preview of what the book holds and why you might be interested in buying it. Now, as I said off the top, today's interview is with my friend Amy Lynn Dezura. She's a community manager for the Dungeons & Dragons Adventures League. She's a convention organizer, and she joined me on the Quest for the Cure live play game, helping raise almost $6,000 for Jesse's Journey and Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy Research. Amy also joins the cast of, you know what, you'll have to listen to the interview for that exciting news. I'm proud to present my friend, Amy Lynn Dezura. Hey, Amy, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, Carrie, thanks for having me. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, what was your first experience with Dungeons & Dragons? Oh my gosh, I remember it so well. Um, my husband and I, my then fiance and I, um, I was new to Philadelphia after moving from Pittsburgh, so move across the state. And as an adult, you might not have a lot of friends in a new city. Mm. So after sort of, you know, lumping around here and there, I'm like, how do, how do we make friends as, as people, you know, we're out of college, we have our jobs. And he looks at me, he's like, do you trust me? <laughs> I'm like, maybe. Um, so he's like, would you want to try playing Dungeons and Dragons? You know, I think it would be a good way to meet some people who kind of are in the same sort of nerdy things that we enjoy doing. And I'm like, well, it can't be worse than what we already have, which is mostly nothing. <laughs> um, so as luck would have it, he found a gaming convention that was going on within the next couple of, you know, weeks and signed us up. And we were going to be out of town for most of Saturday and Sunday, but we got into the one Friday evening session and I sat down at a table and someone handed me a pre-gen character and I was sitting with my husband and another gentleman that I would come to know as a DM in our community and the, the gentleman who was running the game and we played through, um, DDEX 2-1 City of Danger by Sean Merwin. Hmm. And I had so much fun. Like there were, uh, I think giant badgers fell on me and my character who was, I believe she was some sort of fighter, which I don't care for, but it's easy to hit things with sticks when, you, when you're just starting out. Yeah. Um, I, I got, my character got swallowed by a giant frog and I had so much fun. I was like, when are we going to do this again? So that was my first experience. I uh, didn't know which dice to roll. Didn't know what I was doing, but had enough of a good time that I knew that I wanted to do it again and to learn more. Yeah. So after that, we managed to find a, a local game store, actually in New Jersey, across the river from where we were hmm. in um, uh, near Trenton. 
and um, found a game there. And our first trip to the game store, there were probably four or five tables, a bunch of people milling around. And then we're like those, those people in the corner who don't know anyone yet. Right. The DM pulled us over and we, uh, we got right into it. We went there for a couple of weeks until the, the store started getting crowded to the point where we were uncomfortable. And the DM okay. was like, hey, do you, do you want to come to my house? I have a game room. And like, we kind of looked at each other, like, do we want to trust this guy? He ended up becoming our regular DM for like two and a half years. Wow. So uh, it, was, it was just sort of serendipitous. And I've been playing regularly since then. That was early 2015. So you have some really vivid memories of that, of that first game then. I do. I actually, uh, every year it comes up on my Facebook messages or my Facebook memories. Yeah. Like, you know, here's a picture of my character sheet with my shiny new dice that I bought. And uh, I think my first character's name was Nalia. She was a, she was a fighter. I want to say Goliath, but I don't think that was right, but it's possible. Yeah. Maybe. Um, my girlfriend actually had played Dungeons and Dragons for the first time uh, a week or so ago because we are putting together a stream uh, for Talon and Claw. And I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if we put Allie, who's never played Dungeons and Dragons before, in a Dungeons and Dragons stream? I think people would enjoy watching that. And so she's like, well, maybe I should try it out at least once because if I'm committing to playing Rime of the Frost Maiden for, you know, two years or a year, however long it takes, I want to play. So we played. And then after I, I could tell she really enjoyed it. And, and I would, I would tease her. I would say, Ali, you love Dungeons and Dragons. She's like, shut up, which, which means <laughs> I knew that I knew that it hit very well. And uh, that nerve. Exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, like us, she's a bit of a nerd and I've brought her into board games. And so I'm really excited about it. Excellent. So you're a very familiar face to many Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League players. You're one of the community managers for the campaign. So you gave us a little bit of insight into how you started with Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League. But if you wanted to go into a bit more detail and, and how did you join the admin team for DDAL? So when I wanted to, when I ended up finding my people through Adventures League and through Dungeons and Dragons, I, I recognized that as, as a kind of opportunity to, for those of us who aren't in regular social groups, um, and I always looked forward to game nights. I think I've been gaming on Thursday evenings for the better part of four years now. Right. And I, I just got so excited and like, everyone should know this feeling of being able to, to break out of your comfort zone or to meet new people or to try new things. And I was really interested in helping more so to organize than to DM because DMing it's been years and it still intimidates me, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm pretty good with a clipboard. <laughs> I really like herding cats and, and helping 
programs grow and flourish and be organized. So my husband started DMing at um, one of our local comic stores and I was handling the organizational side of things. Mm -hmm. And then we found out that there are events where you can go and just play D&D all weekend. And we're like, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> so once we learned about conventions and um, gaming days and everything, I'm much more suited to that organizational role. So in a sort of tag team way, uh, he would DM, I would help out at the administrative desk, mm -hmm. uh, answer questions and point new players in the right direction. And that sort of um, became my, my niche. And I really, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy helping new players. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, to this day, I still don't know how <laughs> my name came up. Um, but one day I got a message from Chris Lindsay, the, uh, the head of the Adventures League um, mm -hmm. at Wizards of the Coast. And he's like, you know, we have a, um, an opening on the admin team as a community manager. And I was wondering if he'd be interested and applying and I'm standing in the kitchen my husband and I had just gotten home from something and I hand I, I hand him my phone and I'm like wait is this real um I'd had the opportunity to to meet some of the admin team previously at events like origins where I'd been working HQ and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh it it felt sort of surreal like how do how do they know who I am um, and I put my, my resume in and I was a couple of weeks later, um, offered the position and then here I am. So it's, it's been, I guess it's been two years so far, I think. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I think it's been something like that. Yeah. Cause I was, I was doing some, some Google food before we started, uh, before we started <laughs> chatting. So I think your two year anniversary is coming up soon. That sounds about right. I think it's actually, it's game whole con weekend. So it would be like next weekend. What's one thing people don't know about being a DDAL admin? It's kind of exhausting and as much as I love it, it does sort of make D&D more of a job mm -hmm. than I would like. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts. It's, I do my best when we get questions come into the team, instead of just saying, oh, well, here's what I think, you know, this'll be, you know, this'll be sufficient. I try to go through and at least make sure that we get a consensus on questions and um, make sure that I'm reading the rules correctly, that the rules actually say what we intended them to say. Um, it's time intensive. It's a lot of um, getting everyone on the same page. And while it is a lot of fun, it is, it is a lot of work too. Yeah. Like it's a lot more work than I imagined when I signed on. And I think part of it is because it is becoming more popular. Um, we have dozens of requests come into the Facebook groups every day, like with questions. Um, some of them get published to the group. Some of them 
we're able, they're specific enough that we can just answer um, and decline the post, but it's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I guess if we make it look easy, that means we're doing a good job. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you respond to a lot of those Facebook posts, right? Because you're sort of the front line on, on the Facebook group in a lot of ways. Right? Yes. I, I do, that is one of the things that I enjoy because it helps me learn a lot too. Um, I don't come from a background where I've played previous editions. So I, I know enough to get by and that sounds, uh, that sounds silly, but there's just such a volume of information just in fifth edition. And then there's everything that people might know or learn from previous editions. Mm-hmm. And so I spend a lot of time on Google or on D&D Beyond yeah. making sure that what I remember and the way that things are worded matches what like the actual intent, well, rules as written versus rules as interpreted. Intended, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I do enjoy answering the questions and helping people. They're not all easy. And so some of them do take longer to, to wade through, but I really like interacting with people, um, going to a convention or an event and getting to meet someone in person that I've only known from online is so fun, you know, or being able to say, Oh, you know, I'll see you, um, I'll see you at Origins in a couple of weeks. And as much as I have enjoyed not having to travel, I really miss everyone. Yeah, <laughs> It's not the same online, um, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, and in, in some ways, in, in some ways it's broadened our horizons because we can do more things and we can interact with people more regularly, but at the same time that human face-to-face connection is lost through the medium, right? It is. It's, and it takes some adjusting even playing online um, during an event because you don't necessarily have the visual cues or the body language to yeah. react off of. Not everyone um, plays with the video chat or um but it's it's at the same time it's a blessing because i played in friends of los angeles a couple of weeks ago which is something that none of us were really ever coordinated to do before but um it's we've got some growing pains i think we'll probably be doing this for for a little while longer at least yeah but so you mentioned that you have attended conventions and, and you enjoy meeting people, but as, as an admin, you do a lot of traveling for Dungeons and Dragons. So I'd really like to know what are some of your favorite convention memories that you can, that you can share with folks? Oh gosh. Um, I really enjoy origins has a really nice setup um, where everyone's in the same ballroom the center same general area and just being able to walk through all of the tables and like I almost I almost feel like I'm surveying my kingdom <laughs> of contented D&D tables um there's you know 40 or 50 um tables in a ballroom I've never been to Gen Con so I can't compare Gen Con intimidates me in like a too many people kind mm, yeah. of way 
Um, I've heard amazing things, but that is just, um, I think more than my little introvert heart can stand at once. Right, right. Um, but I, I had the pleasure of meeting um, Chris Perkins one year at Origins, and I think the next year, um, Jeremy Crawford and Kate Welch. Um, yeah. So being able, being able to see those people who influence the game or it's where I met Sean Merwin for the first time, my first year um, working at Origins at the HQ desk, like just embarrassing myself thoroughly <laughs> as he comes up to pick up his badge and he's like, hi, I'm Sean. And I'm like, oh, Sean who? And he's like, Sean Merwin. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> just, just be cool, Amy. Um and and Sean's become a really great friend and coworker. So it's still that sort of surreal aspect of my life that these are the people that I get to interact with and learn from um, on a daily basis. But um, conventions are are magical. It's even just after the the last thought on a Saturday night when everyone's sitting around and telling war stories you know I had this player who you know broke his staff of power and you know defeated everything or just um being able to enjoy time together as gamers and um enjoy some of the camaraderie it's it's less about I mean the games are great but the people are the people are what it's about for me yeah for for sure i i agree with you completely um you know i i didn't play much in fourth edition and i put but i was pretty heavily involved in in third edition in the living greyhawk organized play campaign and going to conventions was some of my favorite some of my favorite times you know we travel and go all over the place and meet all sorts of different people so i'm i'm really looking forward to that coming back at some point in the future It'll um, happen. Yeah. <laughs> this this post-apocalyptic world we're living in, I hope we get post-post-apocalypse pretty soon because <laughs> I don't know how much more of this I can take. So we've spoken a little bit over the past about your passion for inclusive gaming and safe spaces for gamers. Why is inclusive gaming and, and making people feel welcome so important to you? Uh, that's a hard question to ask because to me, the simple answer is that's just what good people should do. But after having experiences of my own at tables mm-hmm. where uh, as someone who is new to the game, as um, a female player, it's easy for long-time gamers or more experienced folks to to sort of be dismissive especially when it's like uh well I'm I go to an event with my husband he's teaching me how to play and there's that oh well you're here because of him you Mm -hmm. know you get you might get relegated to the the girlfriend role where people people don't take you as seriously or um uh, fast forward a couple of years, we've been, my husband and I have been running games at one of our local stores for a year or so, and we've got our regular group, and we're all sitting around having a good time, and a, a gentleman walks in, and 
starts to explain my character to me. He finds out I'm playing a Warforged. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, well, that's not what a Warforged would do. Well, we've never met. And there's there's just this, sometimes this assumption um, that a woman at a table isn't as knowledgeable or as competent. Um, and that sort of attitude can lead into a general attitude or a carelessness with how you speak or how you treat people, whether it's using uh, racial slurs or gendered slurs or, mm -hmm. you know, making jokes about um, men in dresses or, and it's just, it, it infuriates me yeah. and I, 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 I feel so strongly about how I felt about coming to the table and finding at this point lifelong friends and everyone deserves that opportunity to do that and if you are going to go to a table and you don't feel welcome there then I will do my darndest to help you find a table where you can feel welcome and you do feel comfortable and you are able to uh, I mean we're all we're all role-playing we're all playing a game but some people use that to break out of their shell or try different aspects of their personality they want to be more assertive or they want to uh, try to play a character of a different gender right or a character without a specified gender and providing spaces where we can be whatever we want to be even if it's just for a couple of hours at a time is empowering you know um it's sometimes when uh like i grew up playing a lot of video games i am a hardcore nintendo fangirl nice. um i still to this day get excited when there is a video game and the lead is female mm -hmm. i get to play as a female character um that shouldn't be a surprise for me anymore but it is you know, um, seeing that, like, I actually went through one time and counted um, half of the characters or or uh, descriptions that Wizards uses in its player handbooks of its classes and races mm -hmm. uh, are female. And that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so seeing that there are a, di a diverse cast of characters that are able to be played uh, by a diverse group of people is it's important because we all have different stories to tell and if you have a bunch of people who come from the same background I mean you're going to get variations here and there but you it's important to have different voices at the table because it's only going to make your game richer and more exciting I mean not everyone's going to get along all the time mm. I have horror stories of people that I might really enjoy as people but don't their play style and my play style doesn't mesh well mm -hmm. so it's not to say that everyone has to get along all of the time but um I do want everyone to have that opportunity to have an equal time 
at the table. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I didn't know that it was roughly 50, 50, um, gender descriptions in the, in the player's handbook, but I, I do think wizards has done a really good job over the past few years, especially of making the game more inclusive because ultimately people want to see themselves reflected in their art and you know the the hubbub about uh the person who introduced the combat wheelchair i don't understand like if it doesn't it doesn't affect you if you don't like it don't use it but if somebody wants to see themselves reflected and you know i included the combat wheelchair in the in the quest for the cure games because i thought that was an important uh because you know the kids we were playing with that the disease does tend to put them in a wheelchair and i just it's something i don't understand and you know i try and um sort of like you to make sure that people feel welcome and, and safe i just but i think wizards is the moral of that is the wizards has done a really good job of that over the past few years and i had a chance to talk to jeremy crawford about it and it's something they're very cognizant of um you know i mentioned in one of their adventures i didn't remember when they just casually dropped that the innkeeper had a husband and i think that fifth edition has been able to attract more female gamers a more diverse um uh, a more diverse group of players precisely because they are cognizant of that. So I, I more or less I agree with you on that. No, I, I absolutely agree because it's seeing um, diverse gamers in or uh, characters just living their character lives in yep. the books. You know, they're not a... Um, they're not meant to be like this ostentatious thing that you yeah. recognize right away. They're just part of the world, like diverse people are part of mm -hmm. our world. And so I think by making that conscious effort to, to include all types of people, um, they're, they're sending a good message. Yeah. And like, I, I don't remember where I saw it or who said it. I feel like it was, it might've been Ellen uh, there in an interview after she came out, but I, I could be wrong. So I could be misquoting her, but more or less what she was saying or whoever was quoted this was, you know, I want to see it when somebody's gay on TV and it's not a plot point, they're just gay. Mm -hmm. And that was what really resonated with me with that point where he just happens to mention that he has a husband, that it wasn't a plot point. It was just, is the way it is. It's exactly what you said. There are people who are gay in the world. So there are people who are gay in D and D it's, it's, it's not out of the, it's not out of the ordinary. It's nothing. It's just, it is what it is. So. Um, so you're, you're very active in charity work um, and uh, through Dungeons and Dragons and, and your other other hobbies. You, you've raised money for at least five charities, and those are just the ones that I know about in the time that I've known you since May. So first, how do you have time to contribute to so many charities? And, five, really? Well, I mean, is there's is Extra Life, uh, yeah. the, the Badonna Group. Okay. Um, there's um, uh, Jesse's Journey. That's right. Uh, there, you did the Knit-a-thon. I did. And there is one more. I can't, I didn't write them down but there's definitely one more. Yeah. Oh, was it Jasper's? Where it I was Jasper's. You? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was the fifth one. So Good job uh, us. yeah, go, go team, go team charity. But what, what motivates you to contribute uh, to the community uh, in this way? Like what, what drives you when you're, when you're doing all this stuff? Um, it's such a 
honestly, not that it's easy, but it almost feels a little selfish. Like here's this thing that I really love doing and it doesn't benefit just me. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do really amazing things through the power of community. Like I never in my wildest dreams thought anyone would bother tuning in to to watch us on uh, a stream for Jasper's game day, let yeah. alone, you know, raise hundreds of dollars. And uh, it's, it's again, it's, a, it's sort of surreal, but with the popularity of um, shows like Critical Role and uh, Rivals of Waterdeep and all of these um, streamed games, it's uh, a form of entertainment, like where some people might sit down to watch the news or um, I really like watching nature documentaries yeah. or, um, or play a video game folks will will watch these these D games and being able to participate that and use that for good is it's a really fantastic feeling um i i really enjoy being able to um like i said be a little selfish and do something that i really enjoy yeah. but being able to promote charitable causes and um raise money for um, things that might not otherwise get the recognition because it's easy to say, oh, hey, um, donate to this fundraiser. But if you're, if you have a live event, you can, uh, people can tune in, they can learn more about the charitable cause that you're supporting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's an interesting way of interacting with, um, the people that might help support your causes. Yeah, I, I found that with Quest for the Cure, it was definitely, and with Jasper's too, interacting with people in the chat and, you know, having people say, oh, well, well, you know, if you sing a song, I'll donate this much. And God knows why anybody would want to hear me sing a song, but they, they keep, they keep doing it. They keep doing it, yes. <laughs> um, and um, so it's, it's a unique way to do it. And you know, I, I just, exactly what you said. I love playing Dungeons and Dragons. This is this is something that is easy to do to help out uh, amazing causes, and I'm, I'm hopefully we'll have more news at some point on Quest for the Cure, the next the next the next installment, because the the uh, our previous games were not the end. I look forward to sharing that with folks, but uh, and hopefully Jasper's again too. That would be great. Yeah. Um, so I'm also speaking of things that we have soon to reveal. I'm very excited to chat with you a little bit about cyberpunk independence, which is uh, being run by our friend Emma Wakelin and don't know the format that it's going to be taking yet, but um, have you played cyberpunk before? Um, I have played a handful of cyberpunk punk themed games mm-hmm. so Shadowrun, a couple of other sort of nitty-gritty futuristic but i have not i'm not familiar with this system in particular although i did grab like the starter bundle so that yeah. i can start doing my homework and reading because <laughs> i like being prepared i told emma i'm like i'm going to have a thousand questions she's like no that's fine i'm like that's generous of you but no really you underestimate the number of questions i'm going to ask 
this a tsunami a tsunami of questions coming for for Emma. Yeah, I, I, you know yeah. what? I haven't actually played it either. Um, I played Shadowrun like you. Mm -hmm. Emma actually ran a campaign, but she's talked cyberpunk up for so long. As long as I've known her, she's loved this setting. So, with the, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've done with the new rules in Cyberpunk Red. And I think the the story that she's she's building is is going to be really exciting for people to to engage with us in. I'm looking forward to having that sort of darker, grittier, more futuristic, um, because I, I'm going to be honest, I have a type uh, when it comes to uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I like playing bards, I like playing druids, I like playing warlocks, and everything's sort of like fluffy and sparkly. <laughs> yeah. And I lean into it pretty hard because that's what I enjoy. All of my characters usually have some sort of pet um, so this will be like a change of pace for me. Um, maybe stretch some of those uh, those muscles that I don't use very frequently. So, do you do you have a sense of the character you're planning on playing? I have no idea. Like there just seem like there are so many like options. I've thought about basing one on um, the the girl from Jurassic Park who like reboots the system um, yes. or I, if we want to talk about like terrible movies, Sandra Bullock in the net where <laughs> she is just magnificent and like regaining her lost identity. Like that's, um, that's kind of where my, my thoughts are, but like, I don't have a lot of knowledge in the sort of shadow run cyber techie world i don't watch a lot of those movies or read a lot of those books yeah i no. i i haven't quite decided yet I, i'm thinking maybe i want to play a face character mm -hmm. um uh, like a like a rocker type character but i'm i'm sort of feeling like uh, they're they'll be like a a rocker but they can't sing I don't understand you playing a character that can't sing. So I, I can't sing, <laughs> um, but uh, the, the I think that the thrust of the character will be that they're a great song, an amusing songwriter, but they can't sing and they're very litigious. So they won't let anybody else sing their songs. So that's why they're famous because nobody will let them sing their songs. Oh, I kind of dig it. That's yeah. much more thought that I've put into my character so far. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm I'm uh, trying to give myself trying to give myself an out. So if people convince me to sing, I would try and try and get me to sing. I don't have to. Mm, but somehow I think we're going to convince you to do it anyway. Oh yeah, you're you're probably right. Yeah, in uh, both games that I've played with you, you have sung in each of them. It's it's so true. Yeah, there's a tradition here to uphold. Yeah, I mean you're you're not wrong, but I feel like I mean when we were playing quest for the cure um if we if you recall emma's comment about my singing after i was done was that it was the worst thing that had happened in 2020 so uh, let's 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 give some context for those who have not heard me sing before <laughs> um what do you you talked a little bit about getting outside your wheelhouse and playing something a little different. What are you most looking forward to um, from, from the game? I honestly 
I don't know. I just really love forging like relationships between like characters. Mm -hmm. And uh, my goal is to just sort of um, learn from everybody at the table. Uh, I've, I've frequently play with other people who are, they just make me want to be a better player. And someday I hope that I could be that for someone. Um, so I'm really just, I'm hoping to learn and to grow. And um, if there's puzzles, I want to figure them out. <laughs> I am a meticulous note taker. I have nice. um, color coded notes for all of the long form campaigns that I've been in. Um, so when we were playing Waterdeep uh, Dragon Heist, like just pages and pages of uh notebooks um i i really just want to have a good time like that sounds uh silly and maybe sort of like non-committal but um it's been a year and uh with dnd more frequently being a job than it is a hobby yeah. um i'm just looking forward to like doing something new and exciting and maybe a little over the top, you know, hack my way into like an ice cream store so that I get automatic ice cream shipments showing up at my door or something. I mean, if that's not the basis for an entire campaign, I don't know what is. <laughs> we may have ice cream in the future still, right? Yeah. Uh, if they don't, I don't want to live there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned the notes because I actually mentioned to Emma she knew she played with you and she knows your uh meticulous note taking so I feel like that will come into play at some point in uh in the cyberpunk independence campaign so to be honest with you one of the things that I am most looking forward to is actually uh playing with you as a player because we've played together twice uh, you were the DM in our first game. I was the DM in our second game. And I may or may not be a DM in a game coming up sooner <laughs> rather than later. But no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to playing with you uh, beside you instead of sort of in front of you, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, because everyone, everyone has a, a different style when they're DMing. Like when I'm DMing, I'm so busy trying to like keep all of my juggled balls in the air that while I enjoy everyone's contributions, I don't get to fully like listen and comprehend them. It's yeah. only like later when I'm like, oh, that's what he meant. And like, I have like this light bulb moment go off. Uh, so I am looking forward to um, maybe bantering and uh, getting a different perspective on Gary as a player. So that'll uh, be fun. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I can't wait. And I know that uh, Emma is hard at work on, uh, on plotting the, the campaign. So we'll have more news on that coming shortly. I know that the plan right now is that we'll be launching in December uh, before the holidays, but we'll, uh, we'll definitely keep everybody informed as cyberpunk independence uh, progresses. So Amy, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me uh, come on and feel awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of fun thanks Amy well that's my episode for today 
I hope you enjoyed my chat with Amy Lynn DeZora. Next week, we're talking about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count.